Lord, yes, um, I am asking that you pour out joy in the midst of this message and um, as, I pour, as I share what you've been talking to me about and also for me as well as everyone um, listening, Lord, just ask for joy in your place. Your Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we just thank you that you gave us your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're asking that where we are um, dry or where the, our wells are stopped up or um, that we're not accessing a part of you, that we've limited you somehow, Lord, that you could reveal it to us today. You show us um, where we've dipped a toe in, but we haven't allowed ourselves to go fully into you, Lord, that there are areas where we reach um, with great gusto. And then there are areas where um, we don't even realize that we have just set it on the shelf. Lord, show us again the promises that you have for us, that you've given us the words, the prophetic words, and also um, um, get us ready for what you are doing. So um, I spoke a month ago, and I started to talk to you about um, the pouring out of the wine and the vision that I had and that the Lord was talking to me about. Um, are you willing to let me pour out my wine? And I taught a bit into that, and even at the time I knew that I was going to be splitting up the message because I had something like a ridiculous amount of... <laughs> I, I often have twice as many notes as Dave, but he does lots of talking and sharing about it. And sometimes I just write all of the scriptures. And I was like, and I just need all of this time to talk to you about the entire Bible. <laughs> so, and I have trouble paring it down and figuring out what it is I want to say in between what it is the Lord is saying to me. Because sometimes I think if I just give you the scripture that he gave me, I'll go, ta-da! See, isn't that clear now? <laughs> so anyway, so half of my me message from last time is remaining, plus um, kind of more that he's been showing me as I've been digging into what he, what does that mean, the pouring out of his wine. But I first want to just start with Isaiah 5, 11, because when we talk about the Holy Spirit pouring out his wine, um, um, there are many examples in the Bible, and this is just one of them, of the um, counterfeit that the enemy uses uh, to try and duplicate in a way that's corrupted um, what the Lord wants to release. Um, and so there's this, in Isaiah 5, 11, this is a section entitled, Impending Judgment on Excesses. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night till wine inflames them. The harp and the strings, the tambourine and flute and wine are in their feasts, but they do not regard the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of his hands. Um, I know for me, as I've been thinking, as I've been wrestling with, what does it mean for him to be pouring out his wine, when he asks me, are you willing to let me do this, um, there is a fear of excess. And I talked a little bit about this in, in the 
last teaching, but this fear of going overboard. And I know for me, I've touched a bit of that Holy Spirit wine, and with it comes um, the desire for more and this, the, just this, this joy of your heart being touched and freed in a way. And, it, and the caution in me comes is where uh, do I suddenly get super excited about this manifestation of his Holy Spirit and stop looking at him? And start looking for the feel good um, that is so closely right there. He wants us to feel good. He wants us to touch our heart and free us and give us that joy and stuff. But I think in it is the caution. We could, when it's poured out, end up going, ooh, this is so fun, and choose that. and want to camp right there with this thing that he's doing and not keep in mind that it is a he that we're engaging with, that this is one of his um, manifestations and it's one of his way he touches our emotions. But if we just focus on that feel, then we become, they do not, they're, they're full of their wine and it's inflamed them, but they don't regard the work of the Lord. They're not actually looking anymore the Lord. We can very quickly look at that and end up going off. So that's a caution with in me with regard to pouring out of his wine. There's um, another section, Isaiah 28, um, 1. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valleys, to those who are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord has a mighty and strong one, like a tempest of hail, and a destroying storm like a flood of mighty waters overflowing. Who will bring them down to the earth with his hand? The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, will be trampled underfoot, and the glorious beauty as a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valley, like the first fruit before the summer, which an observer sees. He eats it up while it's still in his hand. In that day the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people, for a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. But they also have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink, are out of the way. The priests and the prophets have erred through intoxicating drink, and they're swallowed up with wine, and they're out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision, and they stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filth, and no place is clean. So, Lord, I just, as I am um, beginning to agree with you, as I am asking you to go ahead and pour out your wine, Lord, I don't want to end up in that place of excess and and focusing on the wrong thing. I want to keep focusing on you. I want to see your beauty, and gaze upon your loveliness. I want to let you move me and move my heart, but I don't want to get stuck, and I don't want to focus on the wrong things. Lord, help. Um, Jeremiah twenty five fifteen. This is a section on judgment of the nations. For thus says the Lord God of Israel to me, take this wine cup of fury from my hand 
and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. And they will drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send among them. Then I'll look, And then I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations drink to whom the Lord had sent me. Clearly part of this wine is the judgment factor, but it's also this, um, and we can see it when we look around this kind of crazy um, violence and delusion and um, just allowing that rage to spill over and out be kind of vomited out. So as you're looking around in the world and you begin to see this, it shouldn't be a surprise, but we have we have the Holy Spirit. We have a different response. We like we were singing beforehand, we have a gentle, kind, humble God. And so the temptation is to get pulled into this furious that's being poured out and kind of engage with it in, not from a place of humility, not from the place of letting us change us, but the temptation is to spew it out ourselves as, as it's coming out in the world. In Jeremiah 51.6, flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. And he shall recompense her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations are deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. And perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go everyone toward his own country. For her judgment reaches to heaven. It's lifted up in the skies. The Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come, let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. So with the pouring out of this wine is that call to come out of Babylon. It's a prelude. It comes before his return, as part of his return. Um, In Micah 6.15, it mentions, You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread the olives, but not anoint yourself with oil, and make sweet wine, but not drink wine. Also in Zephaniah 1.12, And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. And therefore their goods shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. And they shall build houses, but not inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. So in these sections, and in the one here I'm going to start with in Joel 1.5, it's talking about the new wine and their wine, and it's being produced, but they can't drink it. They're not allowed to drink it. It's, they've done some of the work. They've planted the vineyard, but they aren't allowed to get the fruit of that as part of their punishment. So in Joel 1.5, Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. And Joel 1.8, Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priest mourns who ministers to the Lord. The field is wasted. The land mourns. 
for the grain is ruined and the new wine is dried up. The oil fails. So Lord's wine is something that we do need. And you can see it here in the natural that this is something that they, they need, they want. They've worked, labored toward, and they can't receive just like the, the food in the field. We know we need the grain. We know we need the wine. And, um, and here it's been cut off because of the sin. If you stay in Joel, I'm going to be in Joel here a little bit. Um, just a little further, 113. The response to that vine dried up and not having access, that new wine dried up, basically the joy withered away, which is right before 13 there, um, is gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, um, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withered, withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast and call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Is not the food cut off from before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? So we've got two things going on right now. We've got that wrathy, pouring out, vile drunkenness on anger and hate and violence. And and then we have an absence of the joy cut off from the house of our God. The absence of the new wine. Joel 2.1, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming for it is at hand. Joel 2 to 12. Go further. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? a grain offering, and a drink offering for the Lord your God. I have this week, as I've been preparing this, which um, this is just, these notes are continuation from last time, but um, he's been talking to me about a baptism of his Holy Spirit. And so somehow... I've been holding these things in my head, in my heart, together. And the I just kept singing this song, kept listening and soaking to um, an old vineyard song. I think Tom did it in one of his prayer sets just before he left. 
And it has that phrase, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. And I think it says rich in love. It says great in kindness here, but the song does. And then it goes into the verse, which you might be more, or the chorus, which you might be more familiar with, which is praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, and it repeats that. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And I've been sitting there in that place um, that here in the middle of Joel in this call to repentance and um, consecrating a fast and um, mourning as a result of this judgment and the wine being cut off, the joy being cut off, and our response that here is the return to the Lord and then for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great and kind, and of great kindness. There's that turning point in that chapter. Below the trumpet and Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes, let the bridegroom grow out, go out from his chamber. And the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests and the minister to the Lord weep between the portion and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. And the Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I'll send you grain and new wine and oil. And you'll be satisfied by them. And I will no longer make you a Approach amongst the nations. So this turning and repenting, and then he, zealous for his land, he pities his people. He sends a grain and the new wine. You keep on in Joel 2.21. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up. And the tree bears its fruit, and the fig tree, and the vine yields their strength. Be glad, then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month, the threshing floor will be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts had eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent amongst you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame, and then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. In Joel 3.12, let the nations be weakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put the sickle, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark, the stars will diminish their brightness, and the Lord will also roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake. 
But the Lord will be a shelter to his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no alien shall ever pass through her again. And it will come to pass in that day that the mountain shall drip with new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah will be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and the valley, and the water and water the valley of Acacias. Ah, oh, Joel. Go with me to Acts 2. Acts 2 1. And we know from our Acts, from having read Acts, we know that Jesus told them to wait. On the day of Pentecost. Um, That he promised the Holy Spirit. I'm going to just read in the first one. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And now is it that we eat? How is it that we each hear our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. So they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. So, um, before I read what uh, Peter's sermon, um, I point out that those mocking were talking about them being full of new wine. And interestingly enough, in some ways, they're not wrong. They're imagining it in the natural, though they are really full of the Holy Spirit. And it was perceived as being drunk on wine. But in reality, they were full of the Holy Spirit, which is that new wine anointing. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. 
Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood for the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This Joel passage is in there amongst all of those other bits of Joel that I was reading to you that I put in regarding the new wine. And it immediately follows that call to repentance and fasting and weeping. And this is what Peter uses to explain the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that was happening in this very passage of Acts. So he is telling them what they're looking at, that what looks like intoxicated on wine is his pouring out of the Spirit. And what that means is their sons and daughters shall prophesy and the young man shall see visions and dream dreams. All of this, this is part of the wonders. In Matthew three eleven, we hear John the Baptist talking, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In John 2, 1, it's the wedding of Cana in Cana. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does, this, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were there set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made into wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water out knew, and the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, and you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. I um, really appreciate the word that you brought forth, Vince, um, about that cleaning the inside of the cup, being pure on the inside, that here in this passage, these water pots were for purification, which isn't just washing your hands, washing the outside. This is a, this is a spiritual perfect purification. These are pots for Spiritual purification, they're for the inside purification, even though it's water that washes the outside. And this is the very thing that the Lord used to turn into wine, that purification water. And then in this passage too, um, it's referencing, or it's mentioning, every man puts out the good wine at the beginning, or uh, 
and then later the less good wine, and you have saved your best for last. And we know the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out in a measure for his end-time bride, unlike we have seen previous, because of the amount of pressure and because of the amount of trials and because of the need for that that commensurate spirit inside of us. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not seeing some of these things that happened um, in the first century church. These miracles and signs and wonders that followed Jesus, I'm not seeing them, and they were promised. And I've heard stories of people who have touched them, and they've seen them, but I'm not walking in them. I don't see you walking in them to the fullness that they will be. We, we, we are, I, I believe in the shining that happened when Moses went on the mountain. I know it is possible. We're still working on it. Um, there is more, and we aren't touching it. And like I prayed when we first started, the question becomes, um, where... Where's the interrupt in this flow? <laughs> what, what's going on that I'm being asked to step into something and the Lord has it and yet I'm not seeing it? You know, like what's going on in me internally? And I'll have to say, um, preparing for this message strangely, um, or maybe not strangely, that while I'm soaking and laying on the floor, you know, I'm singing the Lord is gracious and compassionate and full of mercy and rich in love. And I'm singing, praise the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Lord. And then I get up and I'm like heavy. <laughs> and I've had multiple people ask me, like, what's wrong? And I've also had, you know, my poor family on the receiving end of, you know, um, outbursts of where did that come from, <laughs> you know? and so, and I'm like talking to the Lord, and I'm saying, okay, hope in God. <laughs> hey, you soul, pay attention. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Telling myself, okay, ignore whatever this little ride you're on emotionally is, and grab a hold of the truth. What is in the way here of my feeling? His kindness and gentleness. And, and is my head in the way? Is it um, something else? You know. So this is an invitation. I will tell you, this is my conversation. But it's an invitation for you guys to have a conversation. If there is something in the way, then ask the Lord what it is. And unless you're shining and miracles are following your dropping of your handkerchief and people are being healed there's still something more that the lord um would like to do through you with you and it comes in our weakness so it's not something that you're supposed to have gotten um but knowing that you don't have him doing these things with you is a perfect invitation for a conversation so when I was on the floor, he's like showing me, okay, Holy Spirit, filling me with your water. 
I pray in a prayer language. So I have a prayer language and I pray in tongues. Um, and recently came to my attention. I hadn't been doing it for a while and I suddenly missed it and I started to do it again. And I was like, oh, that's like fresh water. That's a little, that's a little um, refreshing and energizing. And I am, that reminds me, I remember this. I'm like, where did this go? How did I set this aside? And, and how do I get it flowing again? And if you have never received your prayer language, um, then this is also an invitation to you. Um, if you have, and it's been a while, this is a reminder. But um, the Lord brought me to Genesis 26 and in um, Isaac. So the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land. I'll be with you and bless you. For you and your descendants, I gave all this land, and I'll perform the oath, or I give all this land. I'll perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. I'll make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I'll give you your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, 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 which is translated a lodging place. So Isaac was told by the Lord, your father had been given some promises, and um, I want you to dwell here. And he was given those promises because he obeyed, and kept my charges and my commandments and my statutes and my laws. And I want you to stay here, and I'm going to give these things to you. And this promise is very much like our promises, the promises we see in Acts, that we see the um, apostles doing, that um, we see believers doing, the faith that gets them through so many things that they count all that faith in our Hebrews faith chapter. Um, these are some promises and the Lord sits Isaac here in the land of, and reminds him of the promises he gave his father, just like he's reminding us of some promises. And then in Genesis 26, 12, then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great numbers of servants. And so the Philistines envied him. And now the Philistines had stopped all of the wells which his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And they'd filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we are. So, um... Isaac gets blessed in this area. I can't all but see a pa parallel. It's his story, but what I can take from it is we've been very blessed in this place, in this building. Um, but in here, the Philistines stopped up the wells, and then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there, and Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he called them by the name which his father had called them. So there are some things that I have um, received from other churches, other strains, other believers, um, 
and those have gotten stopped up. Like my whole prayer language somehow disappeared um, in, in everyday use. And there's other things, um, healings, and um, just different movings of his spirit, uh, that there's some things that we continue to touch diligently and reach for, and some things have fallen away that have come from our Father through others. Um, and the Lord is inviting us to redig those wells. Also, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, which means contention. And because they quarreled with him, they, also, they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. And its name was Sitna, which means strife. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they didn't quarrel over it. So he called his name Rehoboth, which means wide places or streets. Because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. There's no mistake that he redug a well, and they fought over it. And rather than fighting and winning, he let them have that well and dug another well, and rather than fighting over it, gave that one away as well. And lastly, dug another well. And that became wide places and streets because the Lord made room. Now, instead of the one well that he started with, he ends up digging three. And multiple people end up having wells because of even the strife against the well initially. So the Lord was able to do something that provided in him redigging those wells. Oh, something's missing. I have a blockage. I'm going to redig that well. And then another group gets some, and another group gets something. Not because he's holding on to it super tight, because once he gets it going, but in that willingness to give it. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, well of the sevenfold oath. That's what the name of Beersheba is. Well of the sevenfold oath. That sounds, that sevenfold oath sounds really odd. I have to say it again. Yes, oath. Sevenfold oath. And the Lord appeared to him in the same night and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I'm with you and I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called in the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. The, in addition to digging a well or reopening old wells, the Lord showed me healing the waters, which would be in 2 Kings 2. This is just after Elisha got his mantle, um, the mantle of Elijah, then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl, put salt in it. So they brought it, in to, they brought it to him, and then he went out to the source of the water, and he cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water 
From it, they, from it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this very day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. So again, this is an invitation. If you have had a well in you, if you've had access to the Holy Spirit, that you have seen things before, that he's flowed through you in a way, and that seems stopped up, there's an invitation to redig it out. If you had never had, then there's an invitation for a new well. And if the water seems, it seems not good, it's, it's bad, then there, the Lord is providing a way to heal that, heal that water. An invitation to healing of that water. Um, John 5, 2. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, house of mercy or flowing water. This is a different than a well, but having five porches, in this, these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the movings of the water. For an angel went down at certain times into the pool and stirred up the water. And then whoever stepped in after the stirring of the water was made well, for whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity, 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, knew that he already had in him that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The Lord, I feel, brought to me to this because it is an invitation for his Holy Spirit. Do you want to be made well? That is his question to you. The man here had all these reasons why he couldn't get into the water, why, you know, he wasn't first, and there was all these things, and none of that is the conversation that Jesus was having with him. His question was, do you want to be made well? And then he healed him. Isaiah 12. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the people, make mention that his name is exalted, and sing to the Lord. For he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. So I did a little searching. I felt like the Lord wanted me to look, search what a well actually would be. Um, and so I went to the Blue Letter Bible Dictionary and looked up well. Um, it's to be, dist- it's in Hebrew, beer, although it's, or beer. Um, it's to be distinguished from a fountain, which has a different word. It's like ain or something. I don't know how to pronounce these. But Suffice is to say, distinguished from a fountain, it was a deep shaft bored under the rock surface by the art of man, which contained water, which percolated through the strata in its sides. And such wells were those of Jacob and Beersheba, for example. Um, it talks about in the Pentateuch, 
to this word beer is so rendered occurs like 25 times um, compared to the in Arabic beer or something, well or cistern, usually artificial. Uh, and Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there was a well of springing living water, sometimes covered. Um, uh, it might also be a pit. For example, the Valley of Siddam was full of slime pits, so that same word is be'er or something. And the Pit of Destruction is the same word. And it's clear from references in this section, and I didn't read all of them, I just read a couple of them, um, that wells and springs were not sharply distinguished in name, although it does talk about the ones that they're different from fountains a bit. Um, though be'er and freer are used mainly as wells, and ayin, ma'in, matzah, mabua, I don't know, and poetically makor are chiefly used of fountains. Uh, and I mentioned the be'er, the Arabic is equivalent of the Hebrew be'er, usually denotes a cistern for rainwater, though it may be qualified as something else. I don't know. Well of gathering is the word that they use. Well of springing water. So a spring or natural fountain is called a different thing, the ain that I mentioned initially. What does this mean? When I was asking the Lord, I was asking about what is a well. And I knew some of it was, you dig down and there's water there. It goes through the strata. But it also is used as a cistern. It collects water. It's an opening that collects water. Or a fountain, which would be a different thing than, you know, it's got that bubbling up quality. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. I'm not going to read the entirety of it, but I'm going to suggest that you look at it and weigh the words. It talks about um, speaking in tongues. It talks about prophecy. It compares them, and it has a lot of information that is focusing really on the group. But it starts with, in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially you may prophesy, for he who speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God. So in amongst the description of prophecy and tongues and, and, and really focusing on the, the group, um, what's best for the group in this particular, it talks about what a tongue is. It's speaking to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So when I talk to you about speaking in tongues or your prayer language, um, I'm not having the same conversation that Paul is having here. But you can read in this passage some of the things that why you would even want to speak in tongues for for edification um, of yourself, for that speaking mysteries and for talking directly to God that's mentioned here. Also in 1 Corinthians 14, 13, 
Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? It's not that you'd never speak in tongues. <laughs> let me help you. It's I pray with the spirit, and I also pray with understanding. I'll sing with the spirit, and i also sing with understanding. So it's both. So, this is something I think the Lord is getting ready to release in this place. Um, I think that this combines with the wine of his, of his spirit. Um, and I'm excited to see um, me and you all uh, move more fully in his spirit and where those wells have gotten stopped up for them to be released again. And if they've never been dug, for them to be opened. And for... Um, the sound of his, uh, of the prayer languages to be released in this place and come forth. And it's not all um, when he pours out his spirit that happens, but that is something that he seems to be highlighting. So these are some things that you can actually do. You can ask the Lord for your prayer language. <laughs> I know. Sometimes the most obvious ones are the ones we miss. So I mentioned it. You can ask someone to pray for you to receive your prayer language and lay hands on you to pray for it in that prayer. You can prime the pump, so to speak, by practicing. You can get by yourself with the Lord and say, I'm going to try something, okay, God? You know, is it okay if I do this? And you can quietly see what comes out if you just kind of let it. Um, You can wait with expectation for that cistern to be filled. Um, You can wait the way Noah did while building an ark. He knew something was coming, and he had something very active to do. That's the waiting with expectation. You can get your head out of the way and let it flow. But that's going to take all those other things, too. So it's going to take the asking of the Lord to get your head out of the way. If you're anything like me, then it's going to take people praying for you too. <laughs> so, but my head gets in the way, and that's what's very um, beautiful about your prayer language is that once it gets going, your head is actually maybe gazing on him and focusing on him, and you're making sounds that you didn't actually plan out. So like when we're singing prophetically, we hear a phrase and we repeat it, and we see a thing and we repeated. We come up to the mic, we're like, oh, the Lord gave me a vision, and we repeat it, and we do all that. And that is really for all of us, right? That's the body ministry. But when you're talking to the Lord, and you're in your private time, and you're, maybe you're on your instrument, or maybe you're just getting a passage, and you're like, I got nothing. It's like, can you open it to me? And you're like, I'm going to start just praising you, and the next thing you know, if you let it, You can let him flow through you. And then you're making sounds, and you're like looking at him, but you're making sounds. And then all of a sudden you check in, and you're like, what did I just say? And maybe it's something you're like, oh, that sounds like a phrase. I think that's a word. That might be a word. I wonder what that would Google translate as. (laughs) And maybe you look it up, or maybe it's just for you and him. Acts 19. 
And it happened when, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we've not so much as heard whether there is the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what were you then baptized? And so they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came onto them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So this is the last thing I want to read. And that is... This is for his glory. All of this is for his glory. So Amos 9, 11. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, and that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Now I will bring back the captives of my people Israel and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. And they shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up for the land I have given them says the Lord your God. Lord, I just thank you for your kindness and your gentleness, your meekness and your humility that you um, give an invitation that you ask us, do we want to be healed? Do we want the fullness of your spirit? Do we want you to come Do we want the outpouring of your wine? Lord, um, I want to want this. Where I don't, show me. Um, I want your fullness. I want to see you glorified. It is for your glory. It is for your glory. Lord, come and fill this place. Let this be the beginning of a conversation. I believe you will pour this out in March. It is close. Lord, get us ready. Help our hearts be willing. Amen.